Parents, Gary Parrish, Sunday, November 11, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me, and I will talk to him and congratulate him momentarily. But first, let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be, not with SeatGeek. And that's because SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites for you. That way you know you're getting the best prices, best seats, best value always. You just type what you're looking for into the search bar. Two clicks later, you're buying tickets. It is easy stuff. For instance, like I told you before, I saw Carrie Washington on Colbert a few weeks ago promoting her new Broadway show, American Son. It's at the Booth Theater. Sounded interesting. I like Carrie Washington. I was about to be in New York City. So, and I swear to you, this is true. I opened my SeatGeek app. I typed American Son. My options popped up. Within minutes, I had an awesome seat. Row A, seat 107 for last Thursday night's show. Pay 167 for the ticket. Went last Thursday night. The show was tremendous. Can't recommend it enough. And SeatGeek made the whole deal possible. So next time you need tickets to anything, basketball games, football games, Broadway shows, concerts, whatever, just open that SeatGeek app on your phone and get after it. And don't forget to use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's promo code COLLEGEBB to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. at SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. So I said at the top that I would congratulate Norlander. And the reason is because a couple of weeks ago, he said West Virginia would be the one team in the preseason top 25 that wouldn't make the NCAA tournament. I told him he's being disrespectful to Bob Huggins, who had never missed the NCAA tournament since committing to press Virginia. And then guess who went out and lost its season opener at home to a Mac school on Friday night, West Virginia. Final score, Buffalo 99, number 13, West Virginia 94 in overtime in Morgantown. C.J. Massenburg put 43 points on their heads. Norlander, are you proud of yourself because you saw it coming the, de- the demise of Sacabac Canate and the West Virginia Mountaineers. I wouldn't say it's a demise yet, but an early <laughs> an early result into the season. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Parrish, do you still have West Virginia ranked? I do not. I said, you know what? You lose to home, at home to Buffalo. You got to go. Per- they, you are out. Purdue is ranked 26 now. And they were where before you dropped them? Uh, I had them lower than they were in the AP poll. I think around 17, 18, something like that. Yeah, that's probably fair. Uh, home loss. Buffalo's good. I think Buffalo's going to be the best team from a single-bid league this season, and that's uh, just a huge win for that program because if they go on to be as good in the MAC as they're expected to be, uh, they could play themselves really into an 8-9 game, um, which, you know, is good in one respect and not in another because you you want to, if you're a mid-major often, you don't want to go in the 8-9 game. You'd rather play in that 10-7, 11-6, 12-5 is really the best spot overall. But I think they've got the ability to be that good. And Massenburg, obviously, uh, one of the premier games so far this season. In fact, uh, if not for Zion Williamson, you might be able to say that he has had the best game of, of anyone to this point in the season. We'll wait and see on what happens with West Virginia, but that's a that's a good sign for a, a veteran Buffalo team who it might be lost on some people. It's pro- in fact, it's probably lost on most people because, frankly, who knows the history of the Buffalo basketball program on the men's side. But this this school had never been to the NCAA tournament until Bobby Hurley took him there like three, four years ago. And now Nate Oates has taken over, has seamlessly transitioned uh, the Bulls into being a legitimate team. And this uh, this program should make the tournament for, what, the third straight season or the third time in four seasons? And forever, this this was just one of the you know X number 30, 35 schools that had never been to the NCAA tournament. It's not like that anymore. So Buffalo is living up to its expectations, if not exceeding them through the first five, six days of the season. Yeah, it's not. To your point about seeding, I believe the data shows that um, if your goal is to get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, the worst thing you can be 
I mean, besides a 16, I guess. But, like, you, you don't want to be in the 8-9 game. You would, you'd rather be a 10. You'd rather be a 10-11 or 12 than an 8 or a 9 if your goal is to get to the second week of the NCAA tournament because um, you, you, you avoid um, either a, a number one seed or, or UMBC. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, Parrish, was that the – for listeners tuning in here, that's our only real – a shocker upset so far as someone who's tracking this, doing his daily rankings again. Anything else they, even in the neighborhood? They're the only, West Virginia is the only ranked team that has lost to an unranked team so far. Um, there's been some other bad results, uh, like UCF uh, on Sunday afternoon, which is picked to win the American Athletic Conference. They lost at home to Florida Atlantic. So there's been some other bad results, but the only team at this moment, uh, ranked team to lose to an unranked team, it's West Virginia at home last Friday night. And you know what? Like, we don't have to spend really any time on this aside from this quick little segment and comment on that is the American needs to have consistently a good year. And it's like, it's better for the American when you've got UConn and Memphis and Cincinnati like competing to get to a Final Four. Like, that'll be the ideal situation if it can, if it can come into that in the, in the upcoming years. But in a year where UCF is projected to be the best team in the league, you just can't. You can't be having them lose at home to Florida Atlantic. That's going to cost you minimum a seed line if you're if you get into a situation where you're going to make it into the tournament. Like that's at least a seed line loss, maybe maybe even two seed lines. So it's just it's little things like that where it barely blips the radar here in the first week of the season can seriously come back to haunt you. That conference is trying to dodge as much of that as possible in the same way that the A10 unfortunately can't dodge some of this and. It, if the American wants to be considered on a level with and grouping in with the other big leagues, like it can't do what the A10 has slipped into, especially on the bottom half um, in recent years. You know that that league itself overall. Um, Davidson narrowly avoided an upset. Richmond's already owned one, took a bad loss. George Washington, I mean, perish. George Washington got off to a 22 nothing lead on the opening night of the season and lost to Stony Brook. It's Maybe two or three times in men's D1 history has a team ever started 22-0 up and lost, and then it loses at home to Siena, and then, of course, GW just gets manhandled at, uh, at Virginia. So that's just a, a quick aside on those two leagues. The A-10's already up against it in the American. You want to dodge any bad losses from the top one, two, and three teams in your league. And, by the way, of course, already Cincinnati uh, has taken a loss, too. No, uh, you're exactly right on the American. Like, it's not off to a good start because the team picked to win the league, just lost at home to Florida Atlantic. Uh, the team that won the league last season and is one of your biggest brands, Cincinnati, uh, lost at home to Ohio State, which doesn't sound bad, and maybe it's not bad, but Ohio State was picked ninth in the Big Ten, and they just went to Cincinnati and won. And then another one of your big brands, Wichita State, already has a home loss to Louisiana Tech. Now they bounced back and beat Providence in the Veterans Classic on Friday night at the Naval Academy, uh, but still uh, one and one with a home loss uh, to Providence is, is great. And then, of course, I, I, do, I do think Danny Hurley is going to get Connecticut back where Connecticut ought to be. And I do think Penny Hardaway is going to get Memphis back to where Memphis ought to be. But ideally, in the American, what you want is Memphis, Connecticut, Wichita State, Cincinnati, rocking and rolling every year. And then you've got yourself a real league. And then SMU being whatever SMU can be. And, of course, Houston with Kelvin Sampson, I think, is always going to be a factor. So if the programs that are supposed to be great are great, you're going to have a great league. But 
you know, Memphis and, and UConn are in the first year under new coaches. Wichita State is rebuilding, and Cincinnati lost a whole bunch, and it looks like it, it, it might show up. But to circle this back to West Virginia, I don't think it's actually the demise of Sacabacanante, I just like saying that, and West Virginia, but it's uh, clearly not a, a great way to start um, the season. When you're going to have to play a Big 12 schedule, you don't really want to be taking uh, home losses uh, to max schools, and yet that's what they did on uh on friday night uh, so west virginia has a loss and the only other teams that were ranked in the preseason ap poll that also have losses so far are kentucky which lost to duke in the champions classic michigan state which lost to kansas in the champions classic and washington which got blasted friday night at auburn auburn led by 30 at one point final score was 88 66 chuma okiki do you love me he got 19 points 10 rebounds it was a pretty impressive performance from Bruce Pearl's Tigers and a reminder of why I love on-campus basketball because the scene inside Auburn Arena was just uh, – it was awesome. It looked great on television. Paris looked awesome. Uh, that, and from the get-go, that uh, that crowd, that Auburn team was, was rocking and ready to roll. And you know what? Awesome for Auburn, awesome for the SEC. Surprising to me <laughs> – yeah, I was. I told you that's why I wouldn't bet that game, though. That line, we were, we thought it was too high. Well, th- these are why these things happen. And Washington was not even competitive. I was, I was surprised um, at how non-competitive it was over the course of that game. Uh, but certainly a really good win for Auburn. That was supposed to be the, the best, the best game of the weekend. But that's how these things can go sometimes, particularly in the early part of the season. And for those that, uh, for the diehards out there that, that spent their Friday nights in and watched college troops like I did, um, I was anticipating on maybe even writing about that game if it was good enough. But nope, I, I did write about Kentucky, which was able to get an ugly-looking win. Um, and Kentucky, if you know, <laughs> if you're a Kentucky fan right now, you just the, the team has not started off as strong as you expected it to. Now they did beat Southern Illinois by double digits, but you trailed for a lot of that game. And Reed Travis hasn't been as good as advertised at this point. Fortunately, you've had Emmanuel quickly look decent. Kelton Johnson was okay, but th- there's still a lot of learning there. But right now, like Auburn has looked better than Kentucky to this point. I, you know, and where does does that reflect in your rankings, GP, or do you still have UK ahead of AU? Still have UK uh, ahead of Auburn. I've got K- Kentucky nine and Auburn ten, but. Um if you wanted to argue they should not be in that order, it's you, you're in a good spot because Kentucky obviously got blasted in its opener and then didn't look good against Southern Illinois. Won the game, but they were down seven with like 14 minutes to play. Um, won the game, but it was not an impressive performance. And I think Reed Travis and P.J. Washington combined for like nine points or something. Again, like not great. I, Nick Richards, 16 rebounds, and that was the most for any Kentucky player in a game. 19. Since Michael Kidd Gilchrist grabbed 16 in November 2011 against Louisville, so that was nice. But um, the other front court guys were not good. And and again, if you're Kentucky preseason number two, you're not supposed to be struggling with Southern Illinois inside Rupp Arena. You're not. And yeah, Richards, uh, that was the best game of his career, and he picked a nice time to do it because he kept Kentucky moving along. Really impressive on the boards and. If everything else falls into place and Richards is going to be reliable for a double-digit rebounding night, more more games than not, that's going to be a really, really good thing for UK. We'll see. Uh, you know, no overreactions yet overall with that program. But had they lost, then, yeah, the panic button would have been absolutely smashed and we would have started this podcast going going deep on them. But they're able to, uh, to scoot away, get a nice win there. And then, of course, Auburn gets the comfortable win over Washington. And we wait to see uh, see how the, how the Auburn Tigers, you know, 
take form before you see them in person in Maui, which will be, hey, eight days from now. Can't wait. I'm leaving on Saturday. Auburn um, didn't get much from Austin Wiley. I believe, I believe it was his first game in maybe since March 2017. Obviously, he's just suspended all last season uh, because of the FBI investigation. But um, And, and they'll, they'll have to figure out how to work him in because – you know they they've really got something right now, um, um, and you know they they got something last season going, and it's carried over into this season because a lot of those pieces, most of those pieces are back, and so it'll be interesting to see how Wiley adjust, adapts if they can get him involved because, you know, I've talked to enough coaches over the years to know like when you've got something working, trying to bring in a new player to be a part can be can be complicated. It's it's not as easy as, hey, this is one of our five most talented guys, so let's put him on the court. Uh, sometimes it just doesn't work that way. And it, it you know, it's a long season. Austin's got plenty of time to get um comfortable and 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 for Bruce and his staff to figure that out. But um he was and perhaps this is to be expected. I'm not trying to knock anybody. He was underwhelming in his uh, season debut. So uh, Duke beat Army on Sunday afternoon. Another win for Coach K against his alma mater, against the place where his head coaching career started. And the big three were awesome once again. R.J. Barrett got 23.6 rebounds. Cam Reddish, 25.7 rebounds. Zion Williamson, check this out, 27 points, 16 rebounds, 6 blocks, 4 assists. Just an absolute monster. He's now 22 of 27 from the field through two games, shooting 81.5% from the field. He really might end up being the number one pick in the 2019 NBA draft. If he... I say if he can keep this up, I can't imagine anybody can keep this up, but I ain't betting against him at this point. He looks... Special, special, special. In terms of individuals, in terms of teams, I think Duke's the story so far this season. And in terms of individuals, I think the, the story's Zion. Sure, but how about – you're right. And I had uh, – you know, I was in my office watching my Bears on one TV and Duke on the other. And shout-out to Chicago. I don't even know how to react right now to the fact that the Bears continue to leave the NFC North. I will make this a Bears podcast anytime you want to. That includes- Shout-out to my homie – Anthony Miller. That's, That's right. my little homeboy from Memphis. He's doing plenty well for them, and he got a. They they called an un, they called a, an unsportsmanlike conduct after he got a first down. He spun the ball. It's the stupidest flag in football, but whatever. He's awesome. Love watching him. Um, so I had that going on one on TV, and then I had Duke on the other. Uh, one Army played at Duke twice as well against then versus Kentucky did against Duke on a neutral. Uh, Army uh, so undersized, and you know what. They did about as well as you could expect. Easily covered the 40-point spread, by the way. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Duke's next game is home Wednesday night against Eastern Michigan. That's a good team out of the MAC. I'll be interested to see what that line ends up being in the wake of how Army performed. But, yes, you're right. Zion, you know, your eyes can't help but watch him. But Parrish, he's been awesome, no doubt about it. But this is why Duke is going to be so so damn scary. Cam Reddish is like a non-story at this point. He's 10 of 21 from three right now. He's made 10 of his 21 three-point attempts. R.J. Barrett's been good, but I'd, I'd even argue R.J. is still, like, he he's still showing signs of what he can eventually be, whereas Zion's been the closest to his peak at this point. Trey Jones hasn't missed a three-pointer yet this season. Granted, he's only taken three of them. Um, and Duke got, like, an it got an honest and earnest push from Army, uh, probably at the end of the day, one where Krzyzewski and his assistants are happy they got a win, happy they had a cushion, but also maybe secretly a little bit happy they got pushed a little more than they might have been expecting. But yeah, Duke is 2-0. Zion continues to look awesome right now. Um, let's see how 
fr- frankly, I, I want to see how he does against James Thompson the fourth, JT, JT4, who is a senior at Eastern Michigan. He's a 6'10 guy, and he's a really good four-year college player. So I think Zion will still have another really good game, but I think he's going to have clearly his third best of the first three games Duke will have played by the time we get to end of Wednesday night. That being said, I still think that's going to amount to at least 16 points, at least eight rebounds, at least three assists, and at least two blocks. I, I, it, it might just be that on most nights you're going to have those numbers minimally from Zion. Dude, I'm taking over 16, no problem. Let me give you the uh, numbers on these three guys through two games um, because they were, at one point, the top three players in the class of 2018, I think Nasir Little jumped up into the top three, so maybe it ended up being three of the top four or three of the top five. But there are three guys who could reasonably go one, two, and three in the 2019 NBA draft. No school has ever put three players in the top five of an NBA draft, you know, the same NBA draft, but Duke's got a real chance to do that, and they could really go one, two, three. Kyle uh, Boone, our colleague and friend, CBSSports.com, he uh, has them going one, two, three, the order being Barrett, uh, Zion Williamson, and uh, then Cam Reddish. Um, but like they could really go one, two, three in, in almost any order. And they are living up to exceeding expectations, probably, through two games of college basketball. RJ is averaging 28 points, five rebounds, four assists per game. Zion Williamson is averaging 27.5 points, 12.5 rebounds, 3.5 blocks, and 3.0 steals per game. Cam Reddish is averaging 23.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, 3.0 assists, and 3.0 steals per game. They have been awesome. And it would be one thing if they were awesome against just Army in Eastern Michigan or Army and somebody like that. But given that they were that awesome against the number two ranked team in the country that also has pros on its roster, woo boy. I mean, it, 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 it's possible we'll be able to, to say accurately in January, February, March, yo, we've never seen anything like this. We've, we've seen teams with two great pro prospects, you know, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, uh, Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Um, but we might say we've never seen anything like three, like three top three guys, the three guys that could go one, two, three, three guys that are going to go in the top five. You know, we might be watching something unprecedented here. Potentially, but I do want to – you're right. That is on the table, and the fact that that's on the table is, frankly, what's going to drive a lot of the interesting conversation around Duke this season just because you've never had a situation in which a program has has had three of the top five picks in the draft, let alone one, two, and three. We'll see how that all plays out. Um, Given the way that Kentucky played against Southern Illinois, it's still – like, Kentucky should still be ranked and all that stuff, and them as an opponent to start a season, like, it's a worthy opponent. What Duke did was ridiculous. Uh, But had Kentucky come out against SIU – and thrashed them by 38 points, then I think it would have made them look even better in retrospect. But frankly, um, that game was in doubt with 10 minutes to go. So uh, Duke looked good. Kentucky has not looked as as good as it should have been. So it doesn't take any of the shine off of what Duke did in Indianapolis and what we saw at GP. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. Does Kentucky not looking good against Southern Illinois make you come back to earth a little bit about what Duke might be? No, not yet, because collectively, here's my, you know, boil it down to one reason why, Parrish. Collectively, I I include him as a foursome because Trey has not been, Trey Jones has not been the all-around impact player of RJ and Zion and Cam, and he's not projected to be a top 10 pick, top five pick like those other guys. But 
he's going to wind up being pretty crucial, I think. Not quite on the level of maybe Tyus on that 2015 team. Who's Tyus, by the way? That A lot of that was March. But um, but those those four collectively have, have outperformed what we thought they would be. And so that's why I don't think that uh, Kentucky's second game performance really takes away from the opener. So if you had Kansas number one last week, and you, let's say you had an AP ballot, and you had Kansas number one last week, what would you do this week? Because I do think there's a real chance that Kansas is going to drop from number one to number two, even though when the AP ballots are submitted, Kansas will be 1-0 with a win over a top-10 team, which is just crazy. I didn't know if it had ever happened before. The number one team in the preseason poll uh, doesn't lose, but then drops to number two in the in the you know the next poll. Uh, uh, KPI Sports uh, tweeted back at me earlier today and said that it has happened three different times, but the last time I believe was like 1984. So it hasn't happened in a long time. Do you think it happens on Monday? What would you do? Let me ask you that. You got Kansas number one last week and Duke wherever you had them. How would your ballot look tomorrow? Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. First of all, that 1984 stat's kind of wild. Um, I, I would put, if I was an AP voter and I had had Kansas preseason number one, which would have been the case, I would put Duke over them at this point um, and Kansas a strong two. I don't think that's what's going to happen, Parrish. The collective voting body that is AP voters, I'm, I'm judging this based off of past behavior. I don't think there will be enough there. If there is, that's if there is, that's actually, I, I think that's a progressive sign on behalf of the voting body. And frankly, <laughs> you know this this uh, union of voters better than anyone, given what you have to do with poll attacks. And for those listening, uh, Paris's poll attacks will be debuting on Monday. So let's see who does what and who you can uh, who can you can go after. Always an entertaining read. But I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Duke is going to get a lot of first place votes. I think it's going to be close. But I do think Kansas will stay number one. I personally would go Duke one, Kansas two. To be clear, um, see, I, I wasn't in this predicament because I'm the idiot who had Kentucky one and Kansas two. So and I had Duke three. So when Duke blows Kansas, I mean Kentucky out, I didn't have to drop Kansas. So it didn't. I just had to jump Duke up to one, leave Kansas right at two. Um, but you know, as I'm writing for tomorrow, uh, the poll attacks will not be used to target somebody who um, leaves Kansas number one ahead of Duke, or somebody who flips and goes Duke over Kansas. Like you can reasonably argue either one. And so, like you, as long as you have Kansas and Duke one, two in some order, I'm fine with whatever you're doing. Um, uh, because Kansas still number one at Kempom, and Kansas did. I, I know it was a close game at the end, but like they were up seventeen on a top ten team. You know they 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 beat them basically buzzer to buzzer, uh, Michigan State. So I don't care. Um, I th- this is one where I don't have. It's very subjective, and I don't have the strongest of opinions. I have Duke one, uh, Kansas two, but if you have Kansas one, Duke two, it's uh it's fine with me and and very easy to to rationalize. Um, North Carolina two and zero. And it's a unique 2-0 for a Blue Blood because it's 2-0 with two true road wins. They went and won at Wofford, then they won at Elon. Shouts to Roy Williams for playing at Wofford and at Elon. Yeah, big shouts, like massive shouts, because here's the thing. The the world's not going to end. Roy Williams' job isn't in jeopardy. Took a little bit of a gamble, did something. Parrish, if you went across every major conference – how many coaches 
Like I'm gonna, I want you to try. Like, how many coaches would do this? Would start their season with two true road games against two teams from one bid leagues? Roy Williams has done it. Who else would do this? I actually think that's it. It might be it. Like, if if you asked, you know, if Izzo wasn't in the Champions Classic and you asked him to do it, like, I could see him maybe willing to do it. Uh, I think, uh, frankly, I think Tad Boyle at Colorado is not scared of anyone and would do it. Um, but there just aren't that many guys. So. I just want to – you had mentioned on a uh, few podcasts back a shout to Roy for for opening up against Wofford. Yes, I just – they played the games. They won both. They won both by double digits. These are two road wins that, frankly, Wofford probably is going to get to the NCAA tournament, and Elon's not – like, it'll probably be a quad two. Like, Wofford could be a quad one. Elon's probably going to be a quad two. Maybe. Maybe it's a quad three. And even still, it's a non-conference road win. This is why – and I'm not trying to get super hot takey parish or anything, but I think Virginia, I, I think, this is my preseason prediction, I'm going to stick with this, I think Virginia will win the ACC this season, and by the way, Duke and Virginia play each other twice. I think Virginia will win the ACC. I think North Carolina is going to give Duke a solid push, and if Duke and North Carolina split, it could come back to this in terms of where they might land on sea lines. Maybe they wind up with the same seed parish, but someone remember this conversation. Hell, maybe Carolina loses nine games and we're not even it's not even a thing. But if they're close, remember this. Duke does not play a road game of any sort for the first time until January 8th. They are the last team in college basketball who will have to go on the road and play in a true road environment this entire season. They don't have a non-conference road game at all. North Carolina, meanwhile... Will has these two. It will play at Michigan, a national championship finalist from 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 a season ago, and then it still has Texas and Kentucky on a neutral. When you add up all that North Carolina is going to have, it's I think it's going to be right there, and it's why Duke has been awesome, but it better stay awesome because I can very well see a situation where those three teams are vying for the one line, the two line, and maybe one just gets squeaked out under the three. And this is a lot to, to throw at you, but I mentioned this before we started recording. You disagreed. I also think North Carolina has the best resume of anyone to this point. We are not even a week old parish, but it's two true road wins at a conference. And if you look at the other teams that are around them, like BYU, two and, or Nevada 2-0, and but they beat BYU and Pacific in both home games. Villanova, two wins over crappy teams, both at home. Gonzaga, two wins over crappy teams, both at home. Syracuse, two wins. One's over Eastern Michigan, or, or no, Eastern Washington, excuse me. So two wins over crappy teams, both at home. Auburn had the nice win, but also beat South Alabama. Not that impressive. Duke has a really good win over Kentucky, uh, but then it's got the, the home win against Army. To me, there's no one right now that matches up, and I know it's just a two-game sample size, but Roy Williams did this. He challenged himself in his program. They got both wins. I think it's going to pay off in a major way down the road out of your mind <laughs> it's i love that roy did this but like those wins don't matter sure they it's, do oh they will absolutely matter who's sub 100 wins that's what they're they not going to be what? sub 100 wins one's going to be a quad one the other one's going to be a quad two i guarantee you when we get to february march I mean, and we're analyzing these resumes parish and carolina has these road wins and these non-conference road wins they're absolutely going to have um they're going to have a, a a cumulative effect toward them getting a one or a two seed they will absolutely matter yes Offered is right now 118th at Ken Palm. Elon's 221. How are they going to improve drastically? If Wofford is by far the best team in this league, and it probably will, it has a chance at cracking the top 100. It's going to be a quad one win. I'm just telling you, it will be, and then that one, will have an impact. One, one through 75. Yeah, going so on. You, the, it, you think 
Stanford's going to get in the top 75. I think they've got a shot. I do. And for a quad one, yeah. Or it'll be a high-end quad two. It does have a shot. I do think so. Yes. Okay, let's go through it. Wofford, this season right now, 118. Last year, 163. Year before that, 142. Year before that, 187. Year before that, 96. Year before that, 192. Year before that, 246. Year before that, 197. Year before that, 84. Year before that, 82. Year before that, 222. Year before that, 203. Year before that, 249. Year before that, 251. Year before that, 223. Year before that, 287. Year before that, 200. And I'm now in the first year of Ken Palm, 2002, 244. So you're sitting there on the podcast guaranteeing me that Wofford's going to do something it's literally never done before. I, one, you're great at reading Ken Palm rankings. We've established that. Two, the c- committee will not be using Ken Palm rankings. It will be using the NET. I can almost guarantee you Wofford will be higher in the NET than it will at Ken Palm. And three, none of those Wofford teams are going to be as good as this one. Four, I never said guarantee. I said it's likely that it can happen. You, you actually said, I'm going to guarantee right now that it'll be a quad one win. I might have been out of my mind because I have Rams defense and fantasy football and this just scored a touchdown. <laughs> you did say that. You said, I guarantee. I, I think you did. People can I don't think it. I did, but if I did, I'll own it. I don't, I'm not going to guarantee their top 75, but yeah, I think they've got a shot. So, but let's go back to the nexus of our, of our disagreement here, though. So whose who's resume is better at this point? I, I presume you're going to say Duke. Like, who else? Kansas, they both have quad one wins over top 10 teams. Kansas hasn't played two games, have they? What they matter. That's still the best resume. you got a neutral court win over a top 10 team? That's better than winning at Wofford and at Elon. What are you talking about? It's a good win, but I just – they don't have – if they – you know, they play Monday night against Vermont. That's a good Vermont team. Um, winning there, yeah, it'd be pretty close. But uh, if, if, you, if we got you, <laughs> one of them, One of them has a top oh. 10 win over the neutral court. Yeah, no, it's very, very good. No, no, that's very good. If you if you give Kansas the win over Vermont, which is probably going to happen, these games don't matter. Winning winning at Wofford is fun. Winning at Elon is fun. They don't; those games do not matter. Those games don't matter to your resume unless you lose them. No, it will matter. I mean, we we just disagree on this. It will absolutely matter when you have when when total road wins and non conference road wins actually factor heavily into how you get seeding. That they matter, like they just do. You can say they don't, but they absolutely do, and the selection committee will take them into account. They they do matter. I mean, you can say they don't, but they absolutely will. I'm gonna say that on selection Sunday. We're not discussing Carolina as a one seed, two seed, three seed, whatever, and going, you got to remember what they did early. They got that Wofford win and that Elon win. That's not going to be Okay, then you can't. When we talk about them, then you cannot cite how many non-conference road wins or how many road wins they have unless you include both of those because they will matter to the total that they have, and that will have an impact. They will have more road wins than Duke, and that will have an absolute impact on where they get seeded and why I think they will have a chance to usurp Duke if their records are relatively equal and the team split in the regular season. Let me make sure I got this right. You think if North Carolina and Duke's resumes are similar on Selection Sunday, the tipping point will be wins at Wofford and Elon. That's what you think. I think the tipping point could be non-conference road performance, in which case, yes, North Carolina would have the edge on them. Hey, by the way, you want to go back to our West Virginia conversation? No, you got that one right. This is idiotic okay. what you're saying. Okay. You like I I where you where you and I agree is that it is awesome that Roy Williams is willing to go on the road and play these games to start the season to take the Tar Heels into uh Wofford and into Elon. Like that's that's awesome. The idea that they those wins are going to be difference makers is like bananas. Okay. We'll talk in March, my friend.
I can't, I can't wait to talk in March, my friend. Um, so there's no games uh, between two currently ranked teams scheduled for Monday or uh, Tuesday, but we do get um, we get North Carolina Stanford on Monday, and we get Memphis LSU, Georgia Tech Tennessee, Georgia Temple, and Wisconsin Xavier on Tuesday. Any of that interest you? Uh, Wisconsin Xavier interests me um, as a as a barometer for both teams. Parish Xavier gets that game at home. A lot of those are the Gavit games, by the way. Uh, Georgetown and Illinois. You know, I guess I'm just curious to see how both those teams look overall. But Wisconsin Xavier is the one that you want to particularly make time for if you've got the the ability to do so. And then if you want a, a potentially fun one. Um, Memphis at LSU, I just want to see how Memphis go, does in a road environment. They're almost certainly not going to win. If they did, well, I mean, Parrish, Parrish will have radio fodder for the rest of the week, regardless. He will no matter what, but if they were actually to steal that one, um, I just want, I'm curious about that one. But the one from Tuesday for me is just Wisconsin at Xavier. I want to see how Xavier looks now in the, in the Travis Steele area. And then Wisconsin is expected to be much better than what it was last season. Can it get one on the road? Um, I don't think it will. I think Xavier will win that game. I think it'll be a close one. I think, as for Memphis LSU, I think Memphis is going to be better this season than, um, you know, than their preseason Ken Palm ratings suggest or or most of the preseason stuff. But I don't. I'd be surprised if you can go to LSU and win. I mean, LSU's got Tremont Waters and then four top sixty-five freshmen, two five stars. Nas Reed, I think, on Friday night had like twenty-nine points. He's making three pointers. Like he looked great. Um, I just think that Memphis is probably outmanned there. Memphis has got the type of freshman in Alex Lomax and Tyler Harris, who are going to be very good for you um, when they're sophomores and when they're juniors and when they're seniors. Like Penny's going to win a lot of games with those two local kids as as you know members of his backcourt. But winning at LSU when they're freshmen, um, that that's going to be tough. I would imagine they'll be about a double digit favorite, about a ten point. I mean, about a double digit underdog. You know, 10, 11 point underdog, and and um, I'll put it this way: I would think that getting blown out at LSU is more likely than winning at LSU. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do, I do. But I mean, I, I but just... I wouldn't, rule I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, listen, because um, you know, Buffalo just won at West Virginia. What are we talking about? So like, who? <laughs> Florida Atlantic just won at UCF. You know, it's um, but but LSU is just better probably at 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 most positions, if not every position. And that's a, that's a tough thing to overcome when you combine it with, uh, you know, that, that arena is going to look a lot like Auburn's arena. Like it's going to be jam packed and, and, you know, and, and, and wild. And Memphis has got a team largely filled with people they're relying on who've never played in a place like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see. Um, but you know, Tuesdays is just okay. Overall. Um, we'll see between now and our next podcast, if we get any, Interesting upsets. It's it's obviously certainly possible, if not probable, given the amount of games we have. And then, um, well, you want to get into Wednesday night, Parish? Yeah, Wednesday night is the next night where we have a game between two ranked teams. It's Michigan Villanova. It tips at six thirty Eastern on FS1. And those who expected Phil Booth and Eric Pasco to transition easily into starring roles are are looking smart right now. They combined for thirty four points, eleven rebounds eight assists in Saturday's 86-53 win over Quinnipiac, and each is posting career-high numbers through two games. Booth is averaging 20 points, 4.5 assists, 2.5 rebounds per game. Pascal is averaging 18.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, 2.0 assists per game. So that's a good sign for Villanova, right? For Jay's team to continue to be um, a Big East favorite and somebody who operates at the top of the sport, you really needed 
one, if not both of those guys, to settle into star roles. And so far, they're doing it. They are, and I think Eric Pascal is going to have a really good shot at being an All-American. Not sure if it'll be first, second, or third team, but I think he's going to prove to be proficient and, and pushing Villanova along to another year in which it's it's the king of the Big East. And I say that knowing full well that Xavier actually won the regular season last season, and that's how they got a one seed. Um, the Michigan test is going to be intriguing because I'm, I'm, I'm relatively in on Michigan this season, Parrish. Um, I, I guess maybe higher than some. Uh, but this is going to be a, a tall task. I don't think Michigan's going to be able to go into Villanova and win. Uh, Want to see how Matthews, Jordan Poole, see if Isaiah Livers makes a, a big jump. And then Xavier Simpson is is a guard who I think will have a, a true breakout year in terms of more people really knowing how good he is overall. But not against what Villanova has. And I th- this Michigan game, if you look at uh, if you look at Villanova's schedule, um, they they play in the uh, they play in Florida later this month. I think in, it, maybe it is the AdvoCare. Uh, it used to be the Old Spice, right? Yeah. So they're going to have a, an opportunity for maybe one or two decent games over, overall. But aside from that, for for a good while here, you know, unless St. Joe's makes a good pop, um, until they play at Kansas in the middle of December, which could be a, just a blockbuster game. Um, this Michigan game is going to be the one opportunity to really uh, peek in on Villanova, see what they look like seven months removed from uh, from winning a second title in three years. I think they'll look pretty well overall, and they get that game on their home floor, and that is in the pavilion. It's not even where the Sixers play at Wells Fargo. That's in the, the newly renovated pavilion, which has a nice, a nice cozy feel to it. Not quite as small as Cameron, but it's a good little venue, and I think Villanova should be able to to beat Michigan in an interesting game, but one that I don't think will be close in the final two or three minutes. Michigan and Villanova are both 2-0, and but Michigan like struggled for at least a half with Holy Cross. They were down 24-18 at the half on Saturday. They outscored them 38-13 in the second half, but um, they were down six at the break, uh, come back to win. But, um, you know, it wasn't an impressive 40 minutes. An incredible 20 minutes, but not an impressive 40 minutes from the Wolverines. But, yeah, like um, when you take two comparable teams, and I think these are comparable teams – Although I, I think Villanova's probably a little better on paper, but still like comparable, um, then you know I, I'm never going to take uh, the visiting team. You know it, it's it's hard to beat teams like you or certainly better than you on the road in college basketball, and I, I think Michigan's probably uh, up against it in what will be a rematch of the national championship game. Just uh, not a lot of the same players, right? Well, so I was going to ask you if you thought either team would be better or worse than what they did in the title game uh, in regard to this. So um, I think we would both take the over in this. One of the reasons why Michigan lost was it was abysmal from the three-point line. It was 3 of 23 for 13% from deep. So I assume we both think that Michigan will shoot better than 13% from three-point range. Here's my question to you. Now, Villanova set the single-season record for most three-pointers made last season, and it set the NCAA tournament record for most threes made in the big dance. In the title game, it shot 37%. It went 10 of 27 from deep. So are we saying uh, Villanova over under 37% from three against Michigan on Wednesday? I'd go under. What are they shooting right now? Do you even know? Uh, I'll tell you right now. Hold on. I d- through two. What, they played two games, right? They are at, they are at 34.8. Yes, I'll go under 37, but surely Michigan can't be. <laughs> Michigan will be better. Villanova will be worse. Uh, I'll go over. But Villanova. Yeah, I think th- I think they'll be over. Um, 
I, I think Villanova's got a it's it's got a good shot given that it still brings back a lot of quality shooters overall. So I, I like their chances there. And then uh, turnovers-wise, this was just the other one I was interested in. So Michigan had 10 turnovers in the national championship game, which frankly was less than I remembered it being uh, watching uh, live and up close. I just remember Villanova just, you know, getting getting to a win in, in relatively uh, easy fashion there. So I just am curious, 10 turnovers over or under for Michigan on Wednesday? They really take care of the ball. I'm looking at their offensive turnover percentage now. It's uh, 14%, ranks fourth in the country. No, that's what they were last year. My bad. Um, this year so far, they are 15.9%. That's 74. I'm taking the over, Norlander. The numbers say go over. I think it'll probably be over as well. But it's good th- that the uh, powers that be that schedule the Gavit games just thought to put the the matchup that made the most possible sense in the Gavit games, a rematch between Nova and Michigan. Uh, the spread, I think, will be better in Michigan's favor than the national title game. That's the last one I was going to bring reference to. Villanova won by 17 uh, last uh, last April. Uh, I think that it'll be. Uh, I think it'll probably be about 10 or 11. What's your What's your final guess at the spread in this one? Mm, well, let me see what the the projection is. Right now, Ken Palm's got a final score, 75-67, so that suggests it'll be right around an eight-point spread. That sounds about right. Let me ask you this. If Michigan wins at Villanova, will that be as meaningful to you as North Carolina winning at Wofford and Elon? It'll be more meaningful because Villanova's a better opponent, um, and obviously that that would go a long way, and they would be 3-0 and at that point. That would be an incredible non-conference road win I think one road win at Villanova is worth more than two against Wofford and Elon. Okay, good. I'm glad we could uh, find something we agree with, uh, agree on to end with. That was fun, huh? We bounced around topic to topic. Didn't stay anywhere too long. You know what? I like the little ping pong feel. We can mix up the pods, and I like when we disagree on some stuff, usually because you wind up being wrong. It's probably going to be the case here, too. Dude, you guaranteed that at Wofford would be a quadrant one win. Let's keep an eye on it. (laughs) If that ends up being quad three, I'm going to be madly embarrassed. I just don't think that's going to be the case. I do think they've got a shot in the NET, the net, at being a quad one. But even still, if it's a quad two, man, I I just love that Roy did this and they get they get the wins, and I I think it will pay dividends. We'll see though. You know, we don't have to keep going back into this, but I'll tell you what. Like if it does. Maybe the committee sends a message and it incentivizes these bigger schools to not be so damn afraid to play some of these because if you can win them and have a good season all around, uh, it might pay off, you know, bumping you up one or two from where you would have been otherwise. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle, the legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rated favorably. Five stars with nice comments. That's all I've ever asked from you. So please do that, and we will talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care.